Kiora, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Kiora Wellington, welcome back to B Side Stories, the stories of the people that make Wellington tick. And Happy New Year! And um, this is our first show back. And so I already turned your guys' mics on. I <laughs> thanks, Sadie. I'm Thank Sadie. You. Laura's here, and Rose is here. Um, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. And Kyoto Wellington. This is our first show for 2020. Yeah, it is. So we've had a bit of a um, a bit of a hiatus, but welcome back to the show. Um, we've got a very excited one, uh, a very exciting show for today. Sadie's got some music planned. What's the theme? Well, um, I chucked one on quickly because, as you know, we just had a couple of little button problems on the <laughs> desk, you know, as can happen. So I started off without introducing. Um, Andrew Bruff, who is a just was an amazing musician, um, he's in the APRAM New Zealand Music Hall of Fame. Um, he died last week, which is very sad for people like me who grew up just absolutely loving the Dunedin sound back in the 1980s. Um, he was really pivotal in that um, part of bands like The Orange and Straight Jacket Fits, and that was his band, Bike. Mm. Um, that we just listened to, one of his most famous songs, Save My Life. So I just thought I'm going to, in between you guys talking today, I'm just going to play a couple of Andy Bruff songs. That's great. And to show respect. It sounds like a fitting tribute. And they're really great songs as well, so that helps. Just beautiful. Yeah, he's a really beautiful songwriter. Yeah. Hmm. Neat. <laughs> uh, it's great to be back, Sadie. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll kick straight into our first interview. Um, our guest today is Rose Liu. She's written a book. It's a book of essays. It's called All Who Live on Islands, and it's basically about being Chinese in New Zealand, about working in Wellington in the tech industry. It's about mental health. It's about sex, and it's about family, and it's about travel, and um, it's, it's, it's also quite a bit about food. Yes, yes, it is about all of those <laughs> Many, things. many subjects covered. Yeah. Um, all Who Live on Islands has been very well reviewed. Uh, it's widely regarded as an important perspective that's been largely missing from New Zealand literature. So, Rose, thanks for coming to chat to us about your book. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, so how have you, how have you um, uh, enjoyed the sort of reception or, like, has it been launching the book? Yeah, um, I think it's been overwhelming actually because um yeah I I guess um New Zealand literature is really funny because um you sort of just expect it to be the people who already read New Zealand literature and then just like your friends or like I didn't actually um think that there'd be much of a readership beyond that so it's been like absolutely overwhelming um to to have the reception that it has because it was launched in um November last year so that's like you know, almost three months ago now. Um, but it, in the last couple of weeks, it's been on, like, the Unity Top 10 in, like, both Auckland and Wellington. And I'm like, oh, like, this isn't the home crowd anymore. This isn't just people <laughs> I know. Like, these are literally strangers are, like, buying my book and buying my book in enough volume for it to be on the Top 10 list, especially in Auckland, where, like, I don't really know that many people there. So it's, like, it's been incredible to be like, oh, like people are actually reading it because that's what you want right and um yeah like I have a friend who worked at the Auckland City Libraries and he said that there was like 150 reserves like on my book through the library and I was just like <laughs> that's really overwhelming and, and yeah. you've been you've been doing heaps of 
promotion and things, right? Like you've yeah. been doing like lit crawl stuff, yeah. and how's how's that been? The, um, the, in the New Zealand uh, Arts Festival, you yeah, some, some speaking. Some speaking there. stuff there. So, yeah, I did um, Lit Crawl at the end of last year, which is kind of like my first major event, um, and I was on a panel with um, Sinead... Um, oh, God, I was going to say Sinead O'Connor, but that's a singer, but it's Sinead <laughs> Gleeson. Um, she's an um, Irish uh, essayist, and she wrote a collection called Constellations, which is about, like, women's bodies and pain um, and all sorts of great stuff. And another New Zealand essayist called Linda Burgess, who wrote um, an, an essay collection about um, being, well, somebody's wife, because she, like, it's about her life and um, sort of her husband was an all-black and he was one of the people who... Um, abstained from the spring doc, spring book tour so it's like a yeah like it was two great essayists to be on a panel with um Neat. but then over the next like four months I'm really like hitting the road when it comes to events so I've got um I'm doing a schools tour next week which would be really exciting wow yeah so um there's a poet called Marty Smith um who is like my friend's boyfriend's mother. Yeah. So <laughs> where my friend is Sharon Lamb, who is another um, New Zealand writer and her book, um, Lonely Asian Woman, has been shortlisted for the um long sorry, for the Occam's um fiction prize. But and her um partner's mum is also a like very accomplished New Zealand poet and um so me and her mum um she had uh, Marty had given my essay to a bunch of her students because um, she teaches at Taradale High School, and then it kind of all spiraled from there. And now I'm like doing a tour of like four schools in the Hawkes Bay region and talking to them about my book. Yeah, what what kind of schools? Um, like, I think it's what age kind of range. I think it's one intermediate and three high schools. Yeah, neat. Yeah, so I think it'll be cool, and I think it, the focus is um yeah on like the senior English students and all of the Chinese students sort of in the area because it's like. You know, you don't have that many role models sometimes as a Chinese person in New Zealand. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Wow. Yeah. Speaking to the kids. I know. I'm like, I don't even know what the kids are like these days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Um, wow. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it sounds like you have been kept very busy by um, making this book happen and um, – oh, as well as doing your normal life, you're doing your normal job, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I wanted to ask a little bit about, like, your life and your background and how writing fits into that. Sure. So yeah. it's something you talk about a bit in your book, you, that you're, like, you're a software engineer. Is that yeah. those are the right tech, uh, those tech are words? Those terms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you're doing that, yeah. uh, working in the sort of Wellington tech world. Mm -hmm. uh, and also you ended up sort of pursuing your writing and doing um, modern letters at mm -hmm. Victoria University. So I yeah. guess uh, just talk a little bit about why writing is important to you and why that's always been, uh, I guess, why that's something that you stirred into your mm. already busy life. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I mean, I like my job in the tech industry and it is creative, but I guess... Um, you're always making something for someone else, you know, like you don't build something unless there's kind of like a need for it. And I'm, I guess like writing for me is like something creative I can do that is, it's like mostly for me, you know, like it's something that I've always really um, gotten quite a lot out of. Um, and yeah, so it's always been something that I've done in the background. Um, and I never really um, 
formally thought about doing anything with it until um, I was traveling and I was kind of like since I had so much time on my hands I was like sending a lot of like really long emails home and one of my friends was like you sh you should think about actually like writing and I was just like oh okay yeah um, and so like on a whim I just applied to the modern letters program so it came from long emails writing yeah. to friends yeah wow yeah I was um yeah I was sending like yeah like two two to three thousand like word emails back home when I was traveling <laughs> yeah just about all the stuff that I was sort of going on around me and stuff like that and yeah I think they were. Um, I guess because I had the time to spend time on them, like, yeah, maybe they were of a higher quality than just like a, I think most emails I send are quite stream of consciousness. So, yeah. <laughs> so when was this yeah. when you sort of... Um, that was in 2016. In 2016? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and that was kind of like the first time I really got back into writing as like an adult because I guess like I felt like in university I never had time and while I was um working I never really had time but yeah now that I've sort of picked that habit up again like it feels like it's something that I'm gonna definitely keep making the time to do neat yeah and uh, uh you ended up making a book of essays like is that sort of the format you were drawn to writing in or what yeah. What sort of, how did that How did happen? that happen? I think it was because I was sort of like writing letters home, it kind of, um, and that's like nonfiction. So I think it was the easiest thing to um, go from was that. Yeah. And I think because like I didn't, I feel like I didn't know that much about writing and like I didn't have like a background in like English or literature. Like the last time I did English was would have been in high school. So like I kind of, um, nonfiction like I think at the time, f like felt easier. Yeah, so I was kind of um, drawn to it for that reason as well. Like it felt like something I could do um, immediately rather than like I felt like, I don't know, I felt like fiction had like these different rules that I had to follow and I wasn't quite sure what they were. But I don't think that's actually true. <laughs> it's just how I thought about it at the time. Yeah. Um, did you uh, did you want to write about your perspective because y you wanted to write about being a Chinese person living in New Zealand? Like, was that something that you thought was unique or like yeah. something that was missing from? from totally, totally. New just because, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think um around that time that I um, got back from traveling like I was really interested in reading about identity and sort of you know like thinking about um, how you know other people relate to that and yeah I could only really find sort of like American Chinese writing and like um, America's like really different from New Zealand like because the um, I mean just like culturally it's so different like it's got that history of slavery and it's also got the history of colonization and then it's sort of um like modern america depending on where you are it's like in a lot of ways much more diverse than new zealand so it's kind of i felt like the sort of racial issues and where sort of um where sort of asian people were sort of positioned was like quite different to how it's positioned in new zealand so like while i sort of like there are definitely commonalities between the American Chinese experience and the New Zealand Chinese experience. I felt like there were actually heaps that were just completely not the same. Yeah, and like, um, and also um, I think um, kind of like in New Zealand where I think if you're um, like non-Pakiha and you grow up in Auckland, like that's a really different experience from being non-Pakiha and growing up somewhere else in New Zealand, whereas mm. like... Um, 
in America, I think, because they had there are more larger cities with larger populations, it's easier just in like a regular sized city to get that feeling of, oh, I'm in my community. Whereas I think in New Zealand, um, depending on what community group you um, fit into, like it, you possibly just don't get that anywhere just because of the size of our population. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're, uh, you grew up in um, Whanganui, is it, that's right? Yes, I yep. remember that correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you basically kind of like had very early life in Auckland mm-hmm. and then were in Whanganui for sort of like your school, school yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. And you write sort of about that yeah. sort of provincial New Zealand kind <laughs> of... <laughs> Yeah. upbringing yeah. or like the challenges of that yeah yeah I think um yeah I feel like I still have a love-hate relationship to Wanganui um yeah <laughs> I mean it's it's I think there's you know there's a lot going for it and I think it's like very different to engage with it as an adult when like lots of my friends from like Wellington are like they can't afford to buy a house here so they're like oh let's just move to Whanganui yeah whereas I think growing up there it was really really bleak and really really bogan like so <laughs> yeah it's quite different yeah mm. yeah I um wanted to talk a little bit about like the things that you write about and one of the things that you write about so essentially is your family mm. and and it kind of starts off with your grandparents so do you want to talk about like how, why your grandparents are such important figures in, in your life? Yeah, um, I think my grandparents, they are, I think they're, um, oh, yeah, they're just, I think it's like, oh, how do I say that? Like, my, when I talk about my grandparents, it is just, like, so different to, like, my Pākehā friends' grandparents. Just, like, the just everything about it is really different. So, like, I've, I'm kind of a... Because I guess like Pakiha culture is kind of like the norm. There were times that I'd be in conversations where we would talk about grandparents and I could just tell that like we were just not on the same page because like while I sort of had an idea of what their grandparents were like and sort of, you know, like the classic things that grandparents are into, I'm like, my grandparents are completely not like that. Like our, our families are structured completely differently and you have no idea. And I also... Um, I think that in New Zealand we have so many like elder Asian people who have like come to support their families and they're just like such an invisible group because like like my grandparents they just can't speak English Mm, so they're sort of entirely reliant on their extended family um and they're just like not really visible in society um which is makes them quite isolated Yeah. yeah and it's kind of like you know they live their entire you know, they have their entire lives here now, but they're just, like, not... It's Yeah, it, just, it feels like one of the most, like, unacknowledged parts of, like, New Zealand culture is that there's all these old people here who are here um, and don't speak English, and they're just, yeah, they're completely invisible, yeah. Yeah, it's just, just all knitted into their sort of immediate family and, yeah. re- and relying on them really closely. Yeah. And then you have your parents who are, like... It was interesting because your grandparents are, like you know, just a couple generations ago have mm. like sort of like a very limited education and like a totally different world experience. And your parents are actually very highly educated and ended up immigrating to New Zealand. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's it's um, it's really 
big the like leaps between yeah. generation and I find that like um like a really big cultural difference between China and New Zealand like in New Zealand if you're um educated it's like quite likely that your parents were educated and your grandparents were educated you know like there's the sort of like much more like stratification in that way but because China's changed so much in the last 50 years it's really common for um like my grandparents generation to have received no education and then for my parents um generation to have received education and then for people my age like it's quite certain that they would have done some sort of university thing so like people were really um that's quite normal the normal is that you have these three different layers within your family whereas I don't think that's the same in New Zealand like I think in New Zealand you kind of if you grow up educated people around you are educated and your family has always been educated but you never and you likely don't ever interact with people who are not in that situation whereas I think in China yeah you're more likely to encounter that dynamic just Mm. in your own family. How did your family, like, how did they respond to being written about in your essays? (laughs) Um, I think they responded quite positively. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think I remember, like, giving a, um, the, like, finished manuscript to my mum. Um, and I'm like, I, you know, like, this is likely going to be published. I just need you to, like, read over this and sort of just tell me if it's okay and she kind of was like then I like went hiking for five days and I came back and she was kind of like I would never write anything like this (laughs) she was just like it's so private like why would you publish this sort of thing but um she was like I think she was like a bit more worried about the stuff about me than it was than like the stuff about her and my Mm. dad yeah because I guess like I guess at that generation that you would like never dream to talk about your sex life and stuff like that so like maybe that was quite confronting for her to be like oh Rose is gonna put this out in the world (laughs) and so um yeah so they were like pretty chill about it at the time and since it's been published I think they have I, I think again like me I don't think they expected it to be so um well received as it has been like um a couple of weeks ago um one of the reviews of my book that was in the listener got like translated into mandarin and like got shared in like a on like a mandarin social media page that they follow Whoa. and i was just like <laughs> wow like <laughs> yeah really cracking that yeah yeah cracking that barrier yeah. like and is like it, does everyone in their sort of uh community turn and look at them and be like that's about you that's that's rose <laughs> yeah i think they're really um stoked um to have nice. to, yeah apparently my my um mum was saying that like, yeah like my dad is like constantly telling people that his daughter <laughs> published a book so i think they're like oh. quite proud of me so that's quite nice oh that's great yeah oh cool mm. um was there anything because you do you do write about quite personal things like mm. in a lot of ways was there anything you were afraid to write about when you were writing mm. i think it was the like the stuff that was um that made me feel the most like um unsure about publishing was the stuff that was um didn't involve just me like um I think I have a few essays like about friends and stuff that was about some like um situations that we went through together um and like while I was always really sure to be like well this is my part of the story and I'm not going to I guess um say things like 
out of context that are like doesn't fit I you know like I think it fits my narrative but I was also really careful to not I guess like presume what the other person would have thought about the same event because I'm like we I am writing about a thing that we experienced together and it is like I guess in when you publish a book like <laughs> like there's no like right of reply like they can't you know like you it's not even like a newspaper where you can like write in and be like I don't agree with this it's yeah. like I've put this out and like there is um no way for people to like refute that other than like I guess through a law case which I think like you know like why would you even bother with something like that so yeah, it's like yeah. I'm like aware that there's kind of like a power imbalance so I didn't um ever like want to publish anything that wasn't true to how I felt about the situation even when that situation involved other people I think that was kind of the thing I was most concerned about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. so did you um did you test it with people or did you like do take take uh, measures to hide people's identities or like to try yeah. to do things like that yeah, yeah. so yeah. um for every person who like had more than a passing mention in the book yeah, yeah. I sort of like sent them their section and I'm like are you okay like um yeah like would you like your name changed and there are a few people who have had like fairly like like details about them that would just be able to pinpoint them those have all been changed but I mean I think by and large people were okay with it and by and large I don't think I really say anything like super negative about people yeah yeah so I think people were generally like oh okay (laughs) yeah that's amazing maybe that's just like that's just kiwis they know that everyone's gonna find out anyway so (laughs) (laughs) You might as well, like, just go with it. Yeah. Um, cool. And what about um, what about your brother? Because you, oh. you write actually um, quite a bit about him and about his personal struggles as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was a bit um, worried about what my brother would say, especially because, yeah, some of the stuff I write about my brother is really personal. But um, my brother, he's not like a person of many words. Um <laughs> But the sense that I've gotten from him is that he felt really seen and he was quite happy to have it out in the world because it's stuff that he can't say to other people. Yeah, I kind of, I think that's my reading of how my brother finds those essays because he's, like I sent it to him and I was like, are you okay? And his response was just like, yeah, it's fine. Like That's literally, <laughs> it's literally all he said about it is like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like your friends will read this. And he's like, that's okay. That's okay. Like, you know, like I've, I've had like maybe total 10 words right. from him about it. But at the same time, he's also just been like, like, yeah, telling lots of his friends to read my book. So I think that's kind of how I've read into that situation that is he's, I think he's in a lot of ways like quite stoked that I yeah. <laughs> wrote that about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's great. Yeah. Sounds like people have been so supportive. Yeah, it's been really, really good. Um, mm. uh, another prominent theme in your writing is food. Mm. What, what, why do you write so much about food? Um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's such a, like, it's kind of like, or it's kind of almost a trope in, like, Chinese writing is to have so much about food, but it's just, like, it's just so baked into life. Like, it's, yeah. 
I, I, I think it's um, it, it's just so much a part of culture. And then, like, I think it's, again, another, like, big difference between China and New Zealand is in New Zealand, people will be like, oh, I'm a foodie. But, like, no one in China ever says something like that because <laughs> everyone is. Like, it's not unusual. Like, it's just normal. So it's kind of like, I think... Um, when you take kind of like a more like culturally like western audience you look at a book like that and you'd be like oh there's quite a lot about food but um if that was sort of in china i think people just be like i don't think it would be notable in that same way because i think people are just really proud of their food and proud to eat food and and think a lot about the food that they eat absolutely yeah Yeah. oh that's a nice way of thinking about it yeah yeah it's such a um it's such a visceral way of um describing cultural experience because there's all these like movements and sounds and preparing food and like you spend quite a lot of time describing how a knife is used a cleaver and uh it's it's uh it's a really kind of a fun part of the book that i think people can kind of think about and relate to mm-hmm. um even though um pakeha food is really boring <laughs> now um you you talked about writing for yourself but do you have a reader in mind when you're writing yeah i have a couple of um readers in mind uh, i think my like two main readers that i think about is one is definitely my brother um as in like someone like i guess when i was around his age sort of like I think he, he's 20 at the moment. So that's sort of um, like post high school when you're first sort of like getting your bearings in the world. Like I think like something like my book would have been something that I would have really wanted to read. Um, so that's like one ideal reader is my brother. And the other ideal reader is um, I have a friend called Serena who's recently left Wellington and moved to Germany. <laughs> but um, Oh my gosh. So that is like the Wellington experience. The pain of your friends moving overseas. I know. It sucks. Um, it sucks big time. It really sucks. But um, she is my other ideal reader because um, she's just grown up in such a similar situation to me. Like um, we are basically the same age. We are both um, nine years is older than our siblings um, and she grew up in New Plymouth I grew up in Whanganui um, and then we both moved to Wellington so like again it's just kind of that sort of um, like sort of semi-rural like ex- Asian experience in New Zealand yeah Mm-mm. so do you write for like is that something that you worked on when you were like doing your Victoria University studies and mm. stuff like working out who the reader is or um, I mean I mean how how was or was that quite a natural thing for you you like I just want to write something that my friend would read or my yeah, brother would read I think it was quite natural for me I don't think I was um though I did have them they like I think it was really clear that those two people were definitely like my ideal readers I don't think it was it wasn't like a I thought about that every day sort of thing. I kind of <laughs> was just like, oh, I'll just like write what I feel like I need to write. And that was like some, yeah, there were like things I considered, but they weren't really like constraints. Were yeah. there essays that you wrote and then set aside and ha- didn't use in the book? Yeah, heaps. I think, um, 
I think there was a point where I was like a month away from Handon and I had like maybe like five essays in like draft form and I like talked to my supervisor and I was like I don't think I can finish all five I feel like I, I, I kind of only really want to finish these two and I think I'm going to ab- abandon the rest and she's like yeah just abandon them I was like oh okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay sweet I'll just abandon them yeah yeah, yeah. so and they're just abandoned yeah yeah what, what what happens to those they just sort of they're they're seedlings of ideas for another time maybe I think so yeah I think they were um I just couldn't get them to work in a way that um felt comfortable and um yeah I think it always felt like I was like stretching with those ones like yeah it just never felt like organic and I think I don't know if they will ever see the light of day to be honest I feel like they're just abandoned essays (laughs) Do you still find yourself writing? Yes, I've been doing um, um, yeah a bunch of writing recently because I'm um, doing a event for the New Zealand Festival, um, which is like a short lecture, so that's like entirely new content, and I've been working on that over the last week. Yeah, um, and then but but other than that, I haven't had much time to like write. Write. It's been mostly sort of like preparing for events and being like, what what do people want to to hear about and like <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And do, do you know an answer to that? What do people want to hear about when you no. go to give a talk? No. God, I have no idea. I'm making it up. I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah, especially because um, I think um, the thing I find weird about writers' festivals is that, like, the first time I went to a writers' festival was when I was at the IML because um, it was compulsory. They were like, we expect you to attend five yeah. writers' festival events, and it was the first yeah, yeah. time I'd ever gone to one. So, like, so I, IML Institute Modern Letters—that's yeah. your Vic Uni study that you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, um, I still because that was my first—the first time I went to one was when I was like had to go as part of mandatory schoolwork. I kind of don't understand what people want from a writer's festival event <laughs> when they, like, show up and they haven't been told to be there. Right. Yeah. They just want to fulfill an assignment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, so many people went to Margaret Atwood last night. Yeah. And I'm like, what did those people want from her? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I love reading and I like talking to other authors about writing but I've never quite figured out why you would go to like a public event like that anyway <laughs> I think I should really I don't know what do you do you two love going to writers do you go events? do you go to do you go see writers talks Sadie um occasionally but I guess I kind of get where you're coming from because like I love music and I love bands and I love reading and I love films and, but I don't feel a particular desire to go and you know, listen to the people who made them speak. Talk about yeah. something yeah. you've already seen. Like, really. It's because it's about the product for me, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of, that's kind of, that's the same idea as, like, I think um, the only writer's event that I, like, um, went to voluntarily was, like, Jenny Zhang because I wanted, I'd heard really good things about her writer's events, like, separate to her actual writing. And I remember when I was at the um, the New Zealand Festival um, when I went two years ago because it was compulsory, I kept being seated next to these old people who would fall asleep. So I like, so I just like, I didn't understand why they had gone because they, 
you know, like I just, yeah, I was just like, oh, what do they want? This person, maybe they just want someone to sit during the daytime. Like it was just, <laughs> just a soothing voice to fall asleep. To. Yeah, exactly. And um, like she had no idea who the person doing the event was. You know, like, I, right. and then she just fell asleep immediately when the session started. And I was just like, wow, is this what a typical audience member is? This is quite a strange experience. Yeah. Well, I love writer's talks. Okay. And I fre- frequently go to writer's talks, even if I've only heard about the book, haven't read the book, but heard about the book. Um, and I just think, and, and often I have read the book as well, mm-hmm. but um, I... Uh, my favorite talks are when you get like some sort of special insight into that person as an individual, not exploring the content of the book that you maybe have already read, yep. but just that person reveals something about themselves that's surprising and you feel like you know them personally mm. somehow. Oh, okay. And I how mean, did they become the person who could write this? thing uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah some some sort of background nugget that you you wouldn't otherwise know just from yeah. reading ah interesting not every talk is like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i guess like maybe with like novelists um that can be more surprising than with essayists true enough mm. true enough i mean sometimes it's fun just to go and hear them read a yeah. great passage and read something funny from what they've written. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that that's the plug to go and see your Writers' Festival yes. event. Yes, <laughs> yes. Please come. It's uh, Sunday, March the 8th. I think it's 3 p.m. It's uh, What Keeps You Up at Night. And I'm with um, poet Carlo Miller and historian Bart S. Yeah. Great. And no one will fall asleep. I no, hope not. It's going to be super exciting. And it's also about what keeps you up. So exactly. hopefully everyone, there's a lot of insomniacs there. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any other sort of creative things coming down the track? Or like, do you know what's next for you in your writing? Um, no, I think no. I'm doing, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say oh. this, but I'm doing Auckland Writers Festival. I don't think that they've released the program. So I don't, I'm not, yeah. B-Side <laughs> Stories exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, they released the schools program. I'm doing something for that, but I don't know if they've released the main program. But um, I don't know. They didn't tell me not to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) So, but there's an event. Okay, I'm just going to say, I don't know. Maybe they're not listening, but they one of the events I'm doing for Auckland's Writers' Festivals, I'm so amped for. Um, So they got a perfumier. Um, and they commissioned the perfumier to make five perfumes based on five different works. So my essay about the cleaver has been turned into a perfume. Oh, my God. (laughs) So the event is you get, like, these five different scents to sniff and you hear a reading from each of the writers. And I was this is... I didn't know it was my dream, but I, as soon as I found out about the event, I'm like, this is my dream. Like, I can't imagine, like, a better event to be a part of. Wow. Yeah. I like it. That's a wacky and cool idea. That exactly. Yeah. Um, Rose Lou, dreams coming true. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And um, talking about your book, All Who Live on Islands. Everyone should go out and read it. Um, and I think we'll play out with a song. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I was just saying before the show, I'm gonna definitely, having read a couple of reviews of your book, I definitely want to pick that as my book club 
Oh, yes. But it sounds like I might have to wait a little while if there's like huge reserve queues at the library. Yeah, well, you get it get it out through the library app. The li- oh, it's, on, yeah. it's digital. There is a digital copy cool. that got released recently, yeah. Or you could buy it. Or you could buy it, yes. <laughs> or yeah. you could buy it. Nice one. Thank you. All right. Um, let's have a look here, going back to my Andy Brufflift. This is probably um, his most famous song. It is one that he did with Straight Jacket Fitz called Down in Splendour. Was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks, New Zealand On Air, for supporting accessmedia.nz.